Pelotero Pickle episode 141. It's October, which means this is our playoff preview episode. We're going to talk about MLB playoffs. We'll, do, we'll touch into Bryce Harper getting ejected and throwing his helmet in the stands. And the hardest hit ball was not on the ground this year. Check it out. Pelotero Pickle, episode 141. My name is Bobby Tewksbury. Joining me is Chris Colabello. Before we get started, a reminder, send us your emails to pickle at pelotero.com or hit us up on social media, various sources, Tewks Hitting, CC20 Rake, Pelotero app, Pelotero Pickle. You know us, find us, that kind of thing. Uh, Chris, fall is arriving here in Texas, which I'm very happy about. I love fall in Texas because it's not... 100 degrees and it's just like this extended indian summer how is uh how's everything going up in massachusetts fall in new england sucks i hate it sorry is that glum or sullen i'm gonna use big words today yeah i hate the fall it's uh it's actually kind of pretty sometimes but it uh it's just leading to winter so that part sucks. Fall foliage is amazing. I miss that. I miss like taking a drive through the White Mountains, getting some elevation. But uh, other than that, we'll take it. Busy weekend in sports. We had football. Uh, we had Ryder Cup. We have baseball playoff implications. NBA news. Whole bunch of stuff going on. Uh, I just I do want to point out that since I got this. University of Texas colored cup. The Texas Longhorns are undefeated. So I think Texas is back. They've been saying that for a long time. Um, College football wise, Texas is back. So we got that going for us. Uh, Did you watch any college football this weekend? There were some good games. I didn't watch any sports this weekend. I was at, well, technically I lied. I was at a sporting event, an amateur sporting event. Yeah, you went to a, a bit, you went to a game live. I didn't watch any sports. Yeah, but I didn't actually watch it. I just talked to the people over there. Yeah. Like you think I'm gonna watch that? It was funny, is like you put these kids in a situation where they have to play a baseball game when they haven't really been in the teeth of it, right? Like in fall, what's the the most at bats you're probably getting is like Saturday and Sunday, unless you're going to tournaments. And I, I know a lot of kids that are on the circuit right now running around. But they go to a pretty major event for this organization, and uh, they just nobody's on time. Nobody, there were no no hitters on time. There was one little left-handed hitter, which was pretty good. He was the only one I paid attention to. He was on time. It's good. It's good to be on time. There was a. Uh, I'm feeling a little feisty today. I just tweeted out: everybody's on time is different. And it's going to, my my Twitter shadow is going to comment on that, guaranteed. There's a big movement right now with uh, being ready at release. There's a phrase, ready at release. Um, that you, It's a drill that people have done, which I actually, I don't mind the drill, um, where you literally swing at release point. But the contention that you're supposed to be ready to swing at release, the way that you would swing at actual contact, is absurd to me. Just don't think it's the, accurate the, whatsoever. The 
the the limitations that that thought process causes are astronomically high. Literally, it's one of the most dangerous things I've ever encountered as a hitter because the 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 implication of being ready at release is that there's like a clear change of direction in the swing, right? And that it's like, it to me, it implies a, a stop and a change of direction. Anytime you stop any of the movement that you've created to gain rhythm, timing, whatever you want to call it, you now have to restart. And if you have to restart, it's very easy to be a little bit off and create the muscle up overswing that people generally are like, oh, he was trying to hit that ball to the moon. No, he wasn't. He was late. He, he's trying to make up for lost time, and he can't. Um, it, limited adjustability, like terrifying things because you can't, like, you can't extend your load to create time to hit a ball. But we could go on forever about that. It's just it, this ties into the whole existence of what is and I was talking to a couple of coaches there yesterday like I saw some drills this weekend they just start popping on my feed now that are literally the furthest thing from actually hitting a baseball and it's like so abundantly clear that the person who's doing the drill or instructing the drill has never played like baseball over 80 miles an hour um and it's terrifying, really, because when you, it's really easy to get lost in cage life. And I say that to people all the time. Like, it's really like we were having a conversation with a high level college coach the other day. How, like, why don't people understand that practice isn't, in the, isn't the game and that there's no, there's no real true like correlation between the two? Like, yes, they're both hitting, but they're two completely different kinds of hitting and you can manipulate practice to create success and create the confirmation bias that you want and need to validate anything. And then you go out in the game and you wonder why you get your teeth kicked in. But what do I know? It's a really fun conversation point. And it, I love the conversation that we had with that college coach. Cause he was, he was, it's one of the conversations I wish could be public, but it will never be. And I've got, I've gone back and forth on that. Throughout my coaching career, I guess, I used to be like kind of mad at like when I used to watch Albert Poole swing and then watch him do demos. I'm like, does he know what he's doing and just not tell people? Like, is he keeping it a secret or does he just not know like that his demos and his actual swing are completely different? It was always perplexing to me. Um, <clears throat> and it was, it's always been interesting to me as well, the concept of like, do you want to do you want to keep information proprietary? Do you want to keep it in house? Is it a competitive advantage? Like, where's the line there? Like, trying to discern there of, are you trying to put stuff out in the world? Uh, to share information, like what? I think what it comes down to is what is the competitive advantage? What is the real competitive advantage? To me, it's finding players that can get it done. That's the ultimate competitive advantage. The the, the people are the competitive advantage. Um, but it's an interesting, interesting concept. And yeah, the Twitter, uh, more Instagram. There's like a whole like Instagram hitting crew right now that are like really high production value. They all have the same cadence when they talk. 
bunch of hooks. They use hooks with their videos always. It's like very clearly about like, I'm trying to get views right now. And it's, if you go on Twitter, half the videos are, this is blah, 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 blah. This is da, 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 da. It's like, just be good. Just gotta be good. It's like all, uh, I don't know. It's, it's funny to me. I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it this morning. This was my shower thought this morning. Um, because my, I, I'm calling my shadow. Teacher man's my shadow. I wouldn't call him rich now because it's his Twitter persona. Uh, anytime I post anything, he just hops on and talks trash. And then a lot of these like Insta coaches, is that a fair term? Insta coach, Twitter coach. Cause they're not like actually working with players. They're just like building communities to so they can sell stuff as opposed to like coaching. Um, but they're all like repackaging stuff. Like they just, I used to call them parrots where they just use everybody else's words. They, they figure out what the hot word is and then they use it and try to get attention where they very clearly don't have a feel for what's being talked about. So we get a bunch of parrots that are all like trying to repackage high level pattern, trying to repackage, put their own spin on it. Um, it's funny. Cause like rich, the the trash talk that he's been going to last recently is, oh, if you would have stuck around, because like back in the day, I mean, this is 10 plus years ago now when the forums were really going off. Um, Like, yeah, you're getting on there. You're trying to learn. You're trying to, you're, you're exploring every avenue. Uh, But like people, people will graduate from a certain coach. They kind of, you learn what you can and then you realize like, yes, I agree with this. No, I don't agree with this. You kind of like get to a point where you're like, this is either not what I believe in, or this isn't as universal as this person's making it out to be. And you just make a choice to be like, all right, this there's other, there's other ways to do this. There's other, other factors in play. So you have to like make a choice to like be in the cult or not be in the cult. <laughs> it's just funny to me, but everybody's repackaging the, stuff from this, 10 years ago. The, the weird part to me of all of it, right, is I go on, like, if I just happen, like, I don't know why the algorithm's now pulling a bunch of hitting drills for me, probably because people know, put them in front of me and I have We to know why. Them. Yeah, because everybody's it's, put them it's, in It's Ferber's fault. Well, yeah. it, it's Ferber's fault. Let's, let's call it yeah. Fed. And, and we, I, I end up seeing these drills and people are acting like they just invented fire. Right. And I'm like, like, I don't really, it, it bothers me because the lack of just feel for the fact that somebody somewhere has ultimately tried to move a bat to a baseball in a certain way over the last 130 years. And that like, again, it goes back to the information is not proprietary, right? It's not, it, it's not exclusive. Somebody's been in a cage and tried to do that before in some capacity. And then we act like these drills are really making just all the difference in the world. And really what it comes down to, and I think this is where it all sinks in for me is the drill means something to you, right? In some capacity, whether it's you're trying to get clicks or whether it actually impacted your career or your life or whatever. So your philosophy, your mindset means something to you. It has no bearing on whether it's going to mean anything to anybody else. 
And the true sustainability of a hitting coach or a swing coach or anybody that wants to be aligned with that part of the industry comes from the fact that you won't stop until your player hits. Like you won't stop until your player takes ownership. You won't stop until that player has maximized their potential. And the reality is we're sitting in a world where it's so easy to just post a bunch of crap, take the whatever amount of money you're trying to get from the person you're trying to get it from. And then to your point, like you move on, the hitting, the hitter moves on because if they don't have continued periods of success and they don't have somebody to ultimately lean on when things get hard, then that person no longer has any significance in that, in that life, right? Like, Rich Gudman was impactful to me because he was there for me. You were impactful to me because you were there for me. Like you were there in the trenches day in, day out. It's not about one good swing. It's not about one good game. It's not about one good cage session. And I I think our, our amateur players are getting duped into believing that if they work on this thing, they're going to magically be good at hitting and, the Major League Baseball season ended yesterday and the league hit 248. Mm-hmm. It's tied for the fourth lowest batting average over the last 50 years in baseball. Mm-hmm. All this talk about how the shift, moving the shift, like the league hit 248, dude. That's five points higher than last year. Mm. Over the course of a season, five points is a lot, sure. But guess what? There were plenty of guys that didn't outkick their coverage. <laughs> they didn't perform better than they did before because we changed, we moved, we moved the shift. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you can't put the second baseman here. Mm-hmm. Pitching is ahead, hitting is behind. Mm-hmm. The philosophies and mindset that go into hitting are wrong mm-hmm. inherently. We're not, and it's it's hard to even say wrong. And I feel like mm-hmm. I don't want to be like that because there there is no wrong when something works for someone, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to work for somebody. We have to be better at finding things that work for everybody. And what that means is we have to be unique. We have to individualize. We have to reshape how people are thinking about hitting because ultimately it's a survival skill. It's not, it's not an optimization skill. I'm done. All right. Let's jump into topics. That was good. Good opening. That was nice. Bryce Harper struck out on a check swing the other day. Angel Hernandez was the umpire of record on the call. Bryce Harper went off. He freaked out. And uh, it was a bad, it was a really bad call. Bryce Harper then threw his helmet into the fan, into the stands. Some, some young kid got the helmet and it was like potentially the highlight of his life. And then Bryce Harper got fined for endangering the fans, which is just funny. Um, he probably creating created so much value in terms of marketing with that event to bring attention to the league. Um, so maybe the league should pay him $5,000. But uh, the question is, what's the best way to go about situations where the umpire just absolutely gets the call wrong? How do you, how do you effectively argue with umpires? Uh, Pick your spots to get ejected. Like, 
Well, it's how do you manage the situation, I guess. So you, I think your perspective is going to be interesting because in professional baseball, you played a lot longer than I did. And at the major league level, like it's the same circuit of guys. So you're going to see the same umpires over and over. And I, and I think a lot of young players don't realize that that's happening where you're going to see a lot of the same umps over and over again. So like there's an element here of relationship building that at the major league level, like, I guess Angel Hernandez told them to go check the video and he he would know he was wrong. And Harper said, I don't need to check the video to know that I was right. Uh, it, it was by every reasonable standard of like, what is a swing? It was not even close. It was, it was not even close. So what do you, what do you do in that situation? Do you just blow up? Do you put your hat down, put your helmet down and go back to the dugout? Like, what do you do in that situation? What level am I on in red? Like how close am I to red? So let's say one is green and ten is red. Uh, you're if you're, you're if, o for the last two games. You're o for the last two games. Yeah, then you're you're really you're really close to red. You have a good check swing on a on kind of a, a you know what we'd call a bastard pitch, and and you, you go no, I didn't. And it just depends. It depends on the moment, right? Like, I, there have been times where I've blown a gasket, and my blow a gasket is different. So there's some factors that go into this, right? What's your status in the game that you're playing in? Like, where do you stand on that in that pecking order? Are you a guy hitting 220 that's on the cusp of getting released or in a ball, or are you a superstar? And I always felt like players had the right to do stuff when they earned it, uh, which is probably why I didn't frequently get too overworked. Listen, for me, it was never the first time with a guy. If, if he made a mistake and had a little bit of humility, and I think I've told this story before, the Bob Davidson story in spring training. You know, it's a 3-2 pitch. I thought it was inside. I turned to him. I go, Bob, you sure about that one? He goes, Chris, it's March 7th. I'm not sure about anything right now. <laughs> and so you, you have to kind of take the moment and stride, you know, Angel for, you know, God love him. It, it, he, he's, he's created this dynamic where your, your expectation is he's going to botch something, right? He's going to mess something up so bad that it's going to be egregious. So when you go into that game, you're already thinking like, you know, if you're a left-handed hitter, shit, I hope I don't have a check swing that he can mess up. Or if he's behind the dish, you're, you're already on, uh, on, you know, on alert. So look, the right way to handle moments with umpires and if they have any feel and it, when the closer you get to the big leagues, the more feel they generally have, that doesn't mean they all do. They all have egos and they all know that they have control in the game. So you have to talk to guys, you have to just kind of feel it out. And then just like anything else, you'll, you'll either build a relationship with them or you won't. And then it depends on what level you're at you're on as a player the the one like that is, is really hard because, you know, Bryce had no chance to talk to angel throughout the night. He's over a third base. So I don't know, man, it, it, again, if you're over your last two or three games and you, you make that non swing at a ball, you're proud of yourself. You're happy because you just, you just turn the corner. I could see why it happened. It was build up. Anyway.
So some some surefire ways to get ejected, drawing lines with your bat will get you ejected very at a very high percentage rate. You just can't draw lines. Uh, bumping an umpire, physically touching them will get you ejected. Um, Using the term you, I mean, you, you did this or you did that, you suck, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Like any anything where you're like really showing up the person, not the call, is an issue. That's when you're going to get yourself in trouble. So if you have a question about a call, if you have a question, I used to always ask the umpire, um, like is that a, is that the edge of the zone? So if if I didn't like a call, I go is that as far as is that is that the edge? Any any more? And trying to get them to make a commitment for me to say like oh there's more there. So then I know like all right as bad as I thought that call was. He's going to go further, so I better be careful. Um, I used to just try to get information out of him and be more subtle about talking trash than uh, just outwardly saying, like, that call's terrible. That yeah, you approach. have to have a conversation with guys. You can't, you can't, you can't go directly to, to flip a gasket, right? There's ways to finesse it and to – one of the things that always – got to me was I, I always thought, especially the more you had a certain crew or certain umpire, they should have feel for who you are as much as you have feel for who they are. And I think I, I was always, not always, but somewhat disappointed in the fact that you establish your character with a guy over and over again. And that, and it was easy for me playing first base because I got to talk to all of them pretty often. Um, it just... It just depends, man, and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta finesse the situation like anything else. And when you're, when you have an opportunity to talk to these guys, say what's up, say hello, introduce yourself, and you already get to their good graces. Now, I'm not saying that's going to ultimately impact the the, the the outcome of the game or the call itself, but it certainly can't hurt. Let's put it that way. Asking, asking is all like, if you ask a question, you can't get reprimanded, right? Is that as far as you're going? Mm, hey, you sure about on that question one? You ask. Hey. <laughs> depends on the question. Well, you could, you could it, certainly ask a question so you could get yourself tossed. <laughs> if you, I'm with you. I could right? picture but, somebody being like, asking a question about the umpire's wife or something might get you in trouble. That would be a really funny way to get yeah, ejected. You could I guess I should have been more specific. <laughs> But ask, asking what they saw, stuff like that. You know, Angel had a funny one with me in, in Fenway. It was a 2-1 pitch that Price threw. It was a cutter, and it ended up being, I don't know, six inches off. And I was like, Angel, that's not a strike. And he's like, oh, it's right there. It's right there. And then the next day, he comes down the tunnel. He's, he's like, yeah, he's like, it was, you were right, it was in. And he kept moving his fingers closer and closer together as he was saying the thing. It's just, it's frustrating, man. You're in the heat of battle, you're, you get four opportunities to do something. It all, it all plays in, it, all of it plays into it, right? It's, it's, it's a build up, it's a lead up to the moment, just like any at bat or any game. It's, it depends on the circumstances. Yeah. That being and said, I have been ejected. Once in the Can-Am League, twice in Affiliated Ball. Two out of the three, or actually three out of three, I was I was walking away from him, um, which generally is the telltale sign for 
Nobody in the stadium knows what you're saying. If the guy turns his back to you and starts walking away, probably not the best time to throw a guy out because he, like, he has to be showing you up, which if, if a guy's walking away, who cares what he says? Nobody heard it. I don't know. Whatever. I, I never Great liked getting news. thrown out because I thought I was doing a disservice to the team. Uh, Joey Votto, related news, Joey Votto got ejected in what could potentially have been his last Major League Baseball game. Um, I think it's somewhat likely that it's the last game with the Reds. Um, but Joey Votto getting ejected on a pitch that was in two-seamer that didn't make it all the way back in is just hilarious to me. He went full Votto. All right, so let's get into the playoff picture for Major League Baseball. A lot of activity, some uh, interesting stuff going on. First question, biggest difference as a player, and you're the only person qualified to answer this question, biggest difference between the playoffs as a player, regular season versus playoffs at the Major League level? What changes? I mean, you feel the intensity. There's no doubt about that. You just, you can, you can feel the aura, the atmosphere around the stadium is different. There's more on the line. I, I like the first and second game of a series, a non-deciding game. It, it, it's much less, I don't know, nerve wracking or much less intense, but it's still intense, right? Because it's an advantage to get up two to nothing or one to nothing, whatever the scenario is. Um, the way I described game five of the division series is I've never been more aware of what was going on at a baseball field from the first pitch to the last pitch than I was game five of the division series, right? Um, extenuating circumstances, right? Like the, the energy of the game, close game, get down early. Um, you know, Edwin hits the homer to tie it to make it close in the seventh. And then it's all, it all, it, it, there's just different buildups to it. If it's an eight, one game or a 10, one game, it's, it's not, it's not nearly as impactful. Like you're just, I think you, you realize that six run leads are much less safe than you think they are. Um, or you feel like they're much less safe than you think they are. But, um, you know, when you're in close games, you feel it. It's it's different. Uh, your your awareness is heightened, uh, and I think it's it it's what baseball is supposed to be. It's what why we play sports, right? Like you want to feel those those added emotions and stresses of winning and losing. Um, I thoroughly enjoy tournament style play because uh, it, it's important. Everybody's watching, so. That's really what it comes down to for me. Do you think every team feels like they can win the World Series? Uh, yeah, I mean, you play 162 games to try to get in the tournament, and regardless of the matchup you get, it's you, you understand that it's baseball, right? And, like, anything can happen. And if you look at the year we lost um, – Kansas City was almost eliminated, right? Like the series before, they were down two games to one. Uh, Houston got the ground ball to ultimately get them out of an inning with the lead, and then it, it just 
snowball effect. So it, it, you got to catch like you got to catch the right energy, right? It's and I, I hate calling it momentum because I feel like momentum is a it's for different sports, right? Like uh, you know, the, the hot the guy gets hot when he's shooting. It, it's different as a baseball player. It's like it's more like you get in the zone, and then one guy getting in the zone can lead to another guy getting in the zone. Like, the guy on the mound is going to dictate so much of what happens in, in the games, and and then it's the grittiness of the at bat from the other team. How how willing are they to scratch and claw and you know. Decent pitchers get good in the playoffs. Good pitchers get great. Great pitchers become unstoppable. And then at the same time, like they also have their bad days, right? So like if you can get to a, a guy like a, 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 you know, frontline starter early, if you can get to a guy like Scherzer or Verlander or uh, whoever, if you get to him early and you can get a lead, it changes the entire dynamic of the game. Um, but you just gotta keep playing. You gotta play twenty-seven outs. You can't, you can't just rest on on the fact that the game gets you get a four-run lead in the fourth, and you sit there and you're like, in the regular season, you're probably just much more comfortable. Where in the postseason, you have to you have to really stay on the gas and try to separate. And it's when all the little things about baseball that people have always talked about they they really come to fruition, right? Like I think every team has one comeback in them every day. Um, let's say you're down 5-1, 6-1 in the fifth inning. Like, you're going to threaten, right? The other team's going to threaten at some point, uh, whether that means they get the base loaded or they score a run or two. It's just it's it's far more important to separate at that point if you're the team that's in the lead. Uh, it's really hard to come back twice uh, unless it's, like, within striking distance, one, two, three runs. It's really, really hard to come back more than once. Like, if it's a five-run it's a more than one swing kind of edge. Um, games are, 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 they're much more, there's much more purpose to every pitch. Let's put it that way. Like every, everything is heightened. I like the distinction between momentum and energy there. I feel like energy is feeling like when you show up at the field, you think you're going to win. Or you, you expect to win. That's a, that's one of the most powerful feelings. I remember getting off the bus in college some days, just being like, "There's no chance." The, the other team has no chance, and it's every guy on the roster feels that stepping off the bus that day. Really good feeling, really powerful feeling. Um, do you think? I mean, it's baseball, so if if a team gets hot, I mean, these are major league baseball players. They can get hot. They can win games. I think seven game series gets a little bit more intense. It's easier to sneak out a five gamer. Versus a seven, but anything can happen. Uh, biggest yeah. surprise. It could all happen, team. man. It's, it's like anything's possible, plausible. Like you could replay the same tournament five times and get a different outcome every time. I think in the last, I don't know, four to six years, it's felt like there were, there were, better teams. If you, if you really look at the league and where everybody landed this year, like Tampa got out to such a hot start, but then Baltimore just kept chipping away at it. Now, realistically, Baltimore was one of the better teams in the league the entire year, right? Um, I think they're being overlooked significantly, especially because the closer's out and um, 
all that type of stuff. But, you know, can Tampa and Baltimore win the World Series is a question that a lot of people have because they're as organizations, they're not they're not the Astros. You know, they're not the they're not the Dodgers. They're not the Phillies like they're not organizations rooted in tradition of of, of being consistent postseason contenders. Right. Um, if you're looking at it from afar, you're sitting there going. Well, everything points to the Braves, right? And then in the American League, it's funny. Like, I think Toronto's probably the most talented team or right up there from, you know, top to bottom, like starting pitching's off the charts. Uh, their lineup is really good. They have depth and different positions. So, yeah, but we they had, we had a conversation recently that said Toronto, they felt Toronto was the most talented team in that division by far. And just completely under underperformed. So you get a team like that, and like if the Padres had made it, that was the the next question was teams that didn't make it. Like if the Padres get to the playoffs, they didn't. They just might steamroll everybody. They might need the playoff switch to get turned on to to really jump their intensity. Yeah, it's hard. It's it's hard when you when you the thing that I noticed and and I only got to do it once because I felt the postseason of twenty fifteen and then you start the twenty sixteen season. Um, it it's just hard to play the games that are less intense, right? Like it's hard. It's, it's really hard um, until you get to the flow of the season. So you start the year the next year, and if you just start out bad, and and look like. I read a stat the other day. The Padres were, I think, 0-12 in extra inning games this year, 0-13 in extra inning games. Uh, and I don't know if that held true. That was with, like, a week and a half to go. But, like, think about that, right? If they missed the playoffs by about seven games or six games, they missed a wild card spot. Um, if you just go 500 in extra innings, like, you're right there. You're in the conversation. And I think it's just hard when you get – Again, you, you don't feel the energy come from anywhere. When we when we got to the deadline, we traded for Price, we traded for for Lowe, we traded for Latroy, Revere, um, and Tulo, and, and that can energize a clubhouse, right? It can also you can also make a bad trade, I think, because and that's why people hesitate. I think when it comes to the deadline, because you don't want to mess with the chemistry or whatever gel that you have, because you just don't know. Like you don't know how that person's going to fit into a new environment, but. Um, you know, look at a team like Boston this year, three games out. Like, why, why didn't they just go for it? Like, why, why not? Like, what, what do you have to lose? And it's, it's almost like, you know, you're reading into what the fortune teller's trying to tell you, but it's, it's all really interesting, man. You could have, you could have played this whole regular season out again. And, uh, the, the reason why baseball is a game of consistency is because the season's so long and there's so much that goes into it that, you know, you look back and every team has six to 10 games that they feel like they gave away. And what, what kind of difference would that have made when everything said that? They won their last two extra inning games, by the way, just FYI. But they were 0 and 12, 0 and 11 up to that point. That's pretty bad. That's <laughs> as bad as you can get almost. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what teams are you most excited for in the playoffs? I feel like the Phillies are rolling pretty good right now. I feel like the Braves are just a, a a powerhouse. Dodgers are good. I can't. I, I didn't even realize the Diamondbacks were 
a team anymore, let alone in playoff contention. I haven't heard anything about them. Um, no knock on the Diamondbacks. That I just haven't heard anything about them all year to see them in the playoffs. Surprise me. Um, hard, to, hard to root against Houston. They've been there, done that. They're just they're they're playoff proof. You live in Texas. They're the defending champs. You're as well. You live in Texas. They're good. They're just two good. Texas they teams again. Yep. Yeah, and um, uh, and they get a buy now, which nobody expected. I three weeks ago I would have told you I, didn't, I wasn't sure if they were going to make the playoffs. They were. Yeah, they were on the bubble. They still. They would have been. So they would. They would have made it. Um, I think Seattle probably the biggest disappointment. Is that fair? They yeah, feel like they, they were, were right playing there. really well, the and Cubs the, were, the I mean, Cubs were right there. First place in the West was up for grabs for a good bit of time, and Seattle looked like they were in the lead, and uh, roaring. And Texas looked like they were going to punt. I I, I literally uh, I had text with two major league executives that said Texas is imploding with like two and a half weeks left. They, I think they lost like seven out of ten or eight out of ten or something like that. And um, yeah, they they tailspin a little bit, and then they just turned it on at the end because they looked like the clear front runner in the West to begin with. And then, yeah, it's interesting. I think. Look, who do, like what? Do, what are my predictions? Like Atlanta is like a real buzzsaw, right? Like they're because they can beat you a bunch of different ways. Like they can run, they can hit. You can pitch, you can play beat. Um, they can beat you one nothing. They can beat you ten nothing. They can beat you twelve ten. Like it, it, it's really the lineup's deep, man. Like they, I mean, it's, they got four, five, uh, five, five guys that hit thirty plus. I think seven or eight that hit twenty plus. Uh, it's they're they're real, um, but. You look at a team like Milwaukee, who has frontline pitching, right? Like Burns, Woodruff, uh, Peralta. Is it Peralta? Like you only need three starters that can throw seven shutty or six innings, one run baseball, and you got a chance, right? Because like when the two run homers in play, like it's a bloop and a blast, man. Like that's you can find ways to win, and that now it comes down to execution of little things and all the things that. You know, the analytics world tries to tell you uh, don't matter. So. Yep. I like the way the matches have lined up where Baltimore is going to play either Tampa or Texas, so potential like ALE showdown. Uh, Toronto versus the Blue, Jay- uh, the Blue Jays versus the Twins, so you got your two former teams there. Any, uh, I would guess, your poem for Toronto of those two. <laughs> and then they'll play the... They'll play whoever wins that series against Houston. Uh, Atlanta will play the winner of Philadelphia, Miami. So a definite NL East showdown, which I love. And then uh, the Dodgers will play the winner of Milwaukee and Arizona. So I like I like the matchups. I like the matchups. Uh, who do you got coming out of the American League? I don't know. I, I feel really like the teams know. just aren't as, I, I, I feel like the I teams want, are their win losses are better, but they don't feel as strong to me as the National League teams. Yeah. I, I 
there was part of me that thought Texas was the best team in the league for a while. There's part of me that thought Baltimore was the best team in the league. But, you know, the Rays are, at this point, the Rays are almost seasoned at, at these first round type style things. Um, they've shown an affinity to get past the first rounds. But again, it, like, you know, three o'clock tomorrow afternoon, if Texas, you know, rolls out six hits in the first two innings and they get up five nothing or four nothing, like, you get up one game and then it's, it's really going to come down to, like, again, that energy in a three game series. These first ones are three game series. Like, I think really anything can happen. Um, you know, Minnesota's got interesting starting pitching and I haven't paid any attention to them all year. Uh, anything could happen. Um, you know, Toronto, Toronto kind of limped in. They played better at the end. I just don't know if they're ready to win yet. I've done Toronto radio throughout the year. So, uh, you know, flip a coin in these first two series in the American League. And then, um, I think, you know, in a perfect world, I would have liked to have seen a Baltimore, Texas ALCS, but that can't happen. So, um, yeah, who knows, man? Uh, you know, it just can't count the Astros out because obviously they. We're going to end up with like a, like a Tampa diet. Bay. Like a Tampa Bay, Milwaukee, or Tampa. Imagine a Tampa Bay, Arizona World Series. Major League Baseball would be pissed. Let's uh, let's wrap it up with one topic, and go with uh, hardest hit ball of the year was not a ground ball. It was Ronald Acuna hit a ball 121.2. There was actually a really funny uh, podcast segment. Mookie Betts and uh, JD Martinez were talking about it, and I guess Mookie made a really funny face when the ball was hit. And the, the camera crew got it. And Mookie was like, I'd do it again. That ball was hit 121 miles an hour. Like, everybody's making face on that one. And JD was like, yeah, everybody in the dugout made the same face. No issues with uh, reacting with uh, an expression. But 121 in the air. It's pretty firm. I guess the implication is that a lot of the hardest hit balls are not home runs. So uh, good job, Acuna. Future MVP. If he does not win the MVP, I'll be shocked. Yeah, it'd be hard to not give it to him, um, especially since the other two guys are really competing against each other. Um, you're going to split that market up in L.A. unless all the writers get together and really decide on one versus the other. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty special talent. Man. Uh, although the fact that he stole 70 bags, like, it doesn't really mean that much to me uh, considering – the fact that it's easier to steal bases um, than it ever has been because of all the rules that wrap around it. So, um, you know, it'd be the equivalent of moving the fences in 50 feet. Um, 50 is a little extreme. Talking probably. about guys that steal 35 and they steal 70. Yeah, about 30. Like, if you doubled your stolen base output in your career, if, if you double your stolen base output, what's the most he's ever had before? Look it up. Go ahead. What's the most he's ever had? So, like, you have to literally consider doubling the output. Uh, he had 37, so yeah. Yep, doubled. You think moving it in 10 feet is going to double your home run total? Uh, no, but I think it's different different skill he had 41 homers before 
if if you move the fences in, I mean, to double the amount of homers. Yeah, fifty yeah. feet would probably do it. Fifty feet might do more than that, though. Are we talking like two eighty to left? Move it in because there'd be a lot of. It's homers irrelevant. It's still it, it's a different. It's you're playing a different game. He's playing a different game than Ricky played. I know that. Yeah, well, it's it's yeah. like the home run derby when they kept they keep changing the rules and then getting excited about records being set. It's like why you change the rules, so it's effectively a whole. Well, I don't know if they're getting excited or if they're just finding things to talk about on television because they don't have anything else to say. Which one is it? Yeah, forty seventy is pretty, still pretty good, regardless. On that note, Pickles out. <laughs>